0: Hey, friend, thanks for stopping by. Pull up the chair and have a seat. You know me. I've got some good Tennessee white pine burning here in the chiminea. But we better enjoy it fast because it's hard to believe, but winter solstice has already come and gone. And summer solstice is around the corner coming up June 20th, 2021. But listen, hey, chill out. I'm going to run inside and get us a couple of cups of joe. I'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Rocks, God, the world, and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. I tell you, it's encouraging for listeners that I'm in contact with to be able to quote what the mission of this podcast is all about that says we're hitting home. But hey, before we get into the main story of our podcast today, as I listen to other people's podcasts and watch their vlogs, their video logs on YouTube, something stands out to me. That I have never noticed before. The social media that I am attracted to all have one thing in common. They all do a great job of creating a sense of community that draws in the audience. Community has a lot of definitions. Uh, One of them is a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. My hope is to make that kind of connection with you. Even though we're not engaged in a two-way conversation, we are making a community connection. If I'm successful, you hopefully feel as if I'm sitting right across the table from you, sharing in a good cup of joe together, trying to make some sense of this crazy world. As I sit here at my computer desk, which is a mid-century drop-top oblong Formica and chrome dinette table that I bought from a former administrative assistant of mine, it was her family's breakfast table from the late 1950s, I have a new essential oil mister running, putting out, in the words of Chef Guy Fietti, the most unctuous smell. Now, the word unctuous in its strict definition does not have anything good to do with food, but Guy, in his ability to coin new phrases, he's extrapolated the word unctuous, which originally meant oily, but he now uses it in the sense of it's something that's rich and lush, intense with layers of concentrated flavor, and the oil I'm using today is unctuous. It's called stress relief. But the essential oil diffuser can glow a variety of colors, which I think is really cool. It's uh, lit up by an LED bulb inside, but the device itself is made out of, a, of an opaque white plastic, so the whole thing glows. And I always set it to blue because I can really see the color of blue uh, with my red-green color blindness. I really can't see some of the other colors well, but I can really see blue. So it sits to my left as I'm, my left as I'm recording this podcast. I like burning candles, but they wreak havoc with my allergies. The essential oils work, though. I'll have a link in the show notes to the mister and oil I use. I include these things as a help and encouragement, not as a hidden endorsement. I have no paid sponsors that I'm embedding secretly into this podcast. I do it as really as a friend reaching out to you to encourage you. Looking forward to the podcast topic beginnings, which I mentioned a few episodes ago, is one of the topics I plan on focusing on this year. I am including a couple of hyperlinks to videos from the YouTube series Socrates in the City, which is hosted by Eric Metaxas. His last name I mentioned in the podcast before. I didn't know how to spell it, but his last name is Metaxas, M-E-T-A-X-A-S. But Eric does a great job of creating a sense of community online. The lighting of his videos alone, which are shot in, in 4K, I believe, in high definition, They make you feel like you are there right in the room with him. But the two videos featured that I'm going to post are his interviews with Dr. Stephen Meyer. Meyer received his Ph.D. in the philosophy of science from the University of Cambridge. He's a former geophysicist and college professor. He now directs Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture in Seattle. Metaxas talks with him about the concept of the intelligent design argument for the explanation for the origin of the world. And uh, it's profound and it helps you better understand on how it is possible that the book of Genesis and the creation account actually did occur. But Metaxas tackles big discussions with a comedic flair that make the robust subjects approachable to the less brainiac side of us. But if you'll give the interview a chance, it can really be enlightening and thought expanding, which is always a good thing. So I encourage you to give it a try. The discussions tie in very well to the Thoughts on Beginnings. Today's main story is another memory from my childhood in Clinton, Maryland. It's not a long story, it's just a couple of connected vignettes, but these two stories hang in the front of my mind. It's interesting how certain life events are that way, though you really can't grasp the full reason why. You can hang part of the specific memory retained on a fun childhood connection, but the memory somehow seems to have more power than that in your mind. My father had been looking for a small boat he could buy for fishing. One evening, he loaded up all of us, me, my mom, and my sister, in our 1965 Ford Falcon four-door car and drove a long distance to Chesapeake Bay in response to an ad he read in the newspaper posted by an all-girls Catholic school that had a dozen 12-foot-long grooming canoes for sale. My dad was excited about the possibility because of the grooming name. Before moving to Maryland, my father worked as an electrician for Ling Temco Vault, back then known as LTV, which built aircrafts for the military. It's now known as Vault Aircraft Industries. Eventually, Vault was bought for a time and owned by Northrop Grumman. <laughs> uh, so Grumman was also a leading 20th century American producer of military and civilian aircraft. So, of course, he felt an instant affinity to the company. Grumman canoes were developed in 1944 as World War II was winding down. Company executive William Hoffman used the company's aircraft aluminum to replace the traditional wood design. The canoes had a reputation for being sturdier, lighter, and stronger than their wood counterparts and had a considerable market share. I can finally remember my dad pointing out to people he shared the joy of his new canoe with that the canoe was put together with rivets just like the airplanes he worked on. By the time we arrived at the school, it was pitch dark. I remember my mother commenting about it being nine o'clock and asked my dad if he was sure they were expecting us this late. We pulled up to a house and it was dark, really dark. No moonlight or house lights on the edge of a dark expanse of water. As soon as my dad stopped the car, the back porch light came on. My dad and I got out of the car and headed toward the door. As the door opened, an older woman appeared, stepped out to greet us. She was in her full attire as a nun, including all the, the clothing and an exceptionally large habit that's known as a cornet. It was large and looming, and against the black night and her black dress, it really stood out as a, as a unique thing to see as we followed her in the dim porch light down to the boathouse on the bay. She unlocked the boathouse door, turned on the light inside, and we followed her onto the floating dock. Inside was the smell and image of a classic East Coast boathouse. The wood dock and framing, the hanging canoes, all illuminated by some old incandescent light bulbs, was so cool. The nun allowed my dad to pick over the canoes and choose just the right one. My dad was one of the first people to respond to the ad, so he had his pick over all the boats listed for sale. My memory of that vignette ends there. Being in the Ford Falcon, I know the 12-foot grooming canoe had to have been loaded on top. I do remember the small metal racks that clamped onto the roof gutters that formed the roof of the car. The most vivid memory I have of being in the canoe with my dad was on the Susquehanna River. My dad had talked about taking the boat to that river for some time. As we floated down the river, I remember looking back over the area we had just passed to the bridge over the river that we had parked near to access the river itself. From my view as a kid, my mind sees the bridge elevated over the river spanning what seemed to me to be a wooded valley gorge, tall in height. I took some time recently to try and identify the location on Google Maps and have yet to find the spot that matches my memory. I know it was the Susquehanna River. That day was sunny and hot. My father had a knack for outdoor excursions with no drinking water included. I mean that. Somehow we would plan excursions and he would not take any drinking water with us. Between the sun beating down on my face and neck, the heat, and no water, I became disinterested in the canoe fishing excursion. I began to complain about the sun, the heat, and the thirst. My dad was not bothered by any of the things that I mentioned, so I decided to lay down in the 12-foot grooming canoe and put my head under the vinyl-covered wooden seat that he had fabricated for the canoe. There were no seats in the canoe when he bought it. I fell asleep under the seat. (laughs) Suddenly, my dad woke me up yelling, Kenny, get me my survival knife! As I raised up from the shouting and the call for his survival knife, I raised up and hit my head against the wooden seat. He kept yelling for his survival knife. I asked him what in the world is going on. As I came up from under the seat, he said, get me my knife, I've got to get this thing off of me. To my horror, there appeared to be a snake wrapped around my dad's leg. All of a sudden, the 12-foot grooming canoe seemed exceedingly small. I didn't know where his knife was. He wanted the knife to stab what appeared to be a snake going crazy on his leg, squeezing his leg, strong enough that he could not get it off. As I looked at the beast, it did not look like a normal snake. It was slick in appearance. He said it was an eel. I gave him the knife and he proceeded to stab at it. I kept yelling that he was going to stab himself in the leg. He finally subdued the creature. It was a hideous sight from a little kid's perspective. After the eel frenzy subsided, I thought, surely we can go home now. I said, can we go home now? He said, heck no. That was an amazing catch. I thought it was a big old bass that hit my line so hard. I'm going to see if I can catch some more, which he proceeded to do. Unbelievable. So I sat there in the sun, the heat, and the thirst, and assisted in the subduing of these weird creatures as he flipped them into the fish basket in the 12-foot grooming canoe. I asked him what he planned on doing with the eels. He said, man, we're going to try eating them. They are solid meat. Most, if not all, of the eel meat stayed in the refrigerator freezer until the pieces of meat were freezer burned. At the time the eel expedition happened, it was not a pleasurable experience. But isn't it interesting, though, that over time it has become one of my favorite comical memories, an unbelievable but real moment centered around an old canoe in time with my dad. My friend, I hope that there are moments from your past that warm your heart and pass through your mind from time to time that help anchor your soul and your spirit as we make our way through this peculiar time in our lives. None of us have been on this river before. Though it seems cliche. this really is a special time with our Heavenly Father that we will someday look back over and smile. I didn't set out at the beginning of this story to draw that conclusion. It's what came to me as I was typing to bring this story to an end. But, you know, now I see that this is the point of this whole story. A little more understanding, perhaps, as to why these little vignettes stay in my memory. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 reminds us about this wild ride that we're on. Jeremiah wrote, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. This is what God says to us today. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.